Mr. Anderson. Wait, you're not Mr. Anderson. <laughs> mm. I don't think I'm going to say your last name, but... You can call you me... Ap- you appear to come out of a trash can. <laughs> and yes. you're all in red. I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> mm, but you hate this place, don't you? It's the smell. It's the smell. <laughs> You have to get free of this <laughs> franchise. <laughs> so now we'll podcast about it. All right, stop. <laughs> if I can, I could go all night. Oh, God. I'll have like a one-man show pretty soon with Hugo Weaving. Uh, welcome, everyone, to the Wage of Cinema. I am Jack. And... Trash I, Panda Cory. I am with Trash Panda Cory. And um, <clears throat> interesting uh, kind of movie night for us. Um Actually, for the first time in a year, uh, a year ago, if you were, if you guys recall, uh, you guys could go back as well into the, the archives if you'd like. Um, uh, December twenty twenty, we reviewed Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, and that was an interesting kind of occasion because I went to go see it in the theater. Corey, you stayed home, yes, uh, to watch on HBO Max, which is where. Our movie of this evening, uh, The Matrix uh, Resurrections, um, kind of uh, comes into into being. Um, and we're going to talk about this movie. We're also obviously going to have to, you know, because the film kind of forces us in a number of ways, uh, we'll talk about the other Matrix movies as well, because I don't think we've ever really done a review of those. But not like, we're not going to properly review them per se, but... Again, we we can't help but talk about them, and uh, I know. Again, we we have a lot to say about this movie. Um, now, before we even get started, is there any way do you think we could even talk about this movie without just having a spoiler warning up front? Let's do a spoiler. Yes, this is going to be all spoilers the whole way through. Be- because, and here's the thing: I, I mean, because we could start actually even before fully the movie with the trailer because like the trailer for this movie which played a lot was a legitimately very cool trailer um and for those who saw it like there have been a couple of trailers but the one that primarily played uh was they used uh jefferson airplane white rabbit um of course because you know original movie had you know, allusions to Alice in Wonderland. This movie has a little bit of it too. Um, and it was a awesome trailer. I loved this trailer. I thought this trailer was cool as hell. It was cool as hell. And yet part, and I, but I think that the, the marketing people of this were pretty clever in the way that, uh, just today I shared with you the article Matt Singer, uh, wrote for screen crush about, you know, how trailers have changed and how they, very deliberately don't tell you anything about the movie. And frankly, if the trailer had told us about this movie, like I wonder how audience, if there would have been as much anticipation for it. Cause I feel like the only way you can really get excited about this movie is if you just know like, Oh, Keanu Reeves is back. Carrie on Moss is back. There's action. There's Kung Fu. Okay. There's a cool song. There's a cool song. But, oh boy, this movie is, like, whew. Now, I should say, the reason why I watched this at home and you watched it in the theater is I had seen the original Matrix movie several times, and even though, until recently, I hadn't rewatched it in a long time, it was still fresh in my mind. Yeah, now... I loved it, but I hadn't seen the second or third movie since the one time I saw them in the theater way back in, what was it, 2003? Yeah. Um, I, that that was pretty much the case for me, too. Uh, I I hadn't watched the the first Matrix movie in a couple of years, but I did. But I actually watched it a couple of times uh, in, in 2019. Um, part of that was, that was just because it was re-released for the 20th anniversary. And also I actually even taught the, the movie uh, sort of taught the movie, I guess you could, whatever the word is for like a intro, to mass media course I had. Um, and it played pretty well. Um, 
but yeah, I watched also two and three with you recently. And I guess having that is, is that that's necessary context for this movie. And like I said, the movie won't let you ever forget that. Yeah. So the reason why I didn't see this movie in the theater <sighs> is when I rewatched the second and yeah. third movie, I was like, wow, these are not good movies. <laughs> so I decided I have to watch this at home so I can have kind of an escape hatch. And I want to say something to start us off. Do you remember when Tony Soprano said, remember when is the lowest form of conversation? Huh. Yeah. Uh, well, I do remember, remember when. <laughs> Which, you know, I know we could go on the whole, you know, he had, that's kind of rich coming from him, given like, you know, his whole Gary Cooper fixation. But yeah, no, no, I do. So I am so glad I did not see this movie in the theater because I loathe (laughs) this movie. I think it is unwatchable. Uh, All right. Let's let's get into it's before. Embarrassing. All right, all right. Before we fully get into that, here's a really brief rundown about what this movie is. Um, as best as I can try to wrap up uh, or bottle up what sort of like a I don't know if you can call it a plot synopsis, but basically, what happened. This is jumping ahead sixty years into the future, although we don't know that at first. Instead. This begins basically like the first Matrix, except you have someone who's now different, you know, playing Morpheus. Interestingly, by the way, the guy who he was the lead in the Candyman remake, right? Yes. Yeah. Yahoo. Yeah. Yeah. I'm mispronouncing his name. I'm sorry, but his last name's Mateen. And then there's another actress who, um, I don't want to mispronounce her name either. Her name is uh, Jessica Henwick, and she plays Bugs. And you're you're then dropped into like this is uh, Thomas Anderson. Now is for some reason we're seeing him as the programmer of the video game The Matrix in this universe where he's not only he's programmed this game. It's been a big hit. But now the, the the studio wants more. They want part four of this trilogy. And, you know, he's under a lot of pressure to try to put something together. But in the meantime, he has kind of put in this sort of modal, they call it. And this is where the characters who are going to actually bring him back into the 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 real world of the matrix so to speak and i don't know if i summed up that part at all well but like it the the, the basically this is the matrix this is a matrix sequel made by someone who it almost amusingly for to me for the first half hour clearly didn't want to make a matrix movie and here's my thought before you go into what you're about to say Corey. I like for the first half hour of this movie, I was almost kind of just I was really interested in the movie simply because like, huh, this Lana Wachowski, she really is just like, I don't want to do this. I'm just going to make a movie about how much like it kind of irks me to be in this in these rooms full of marketing people. But then there comes a moment where she's like Henry Hill and Goodfellas. When Henry is trying out the door and Lorraine Bracco comes over and goes down her knees, Lao Chasky goes, oh, all right. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, no, here, here's your Matrix movie. And yet, it, as you said, though, when you were setting this up, the problem is, though, it's the stuff, like, a, a good long chunk of this movie, most of the movie is the stuff from two and three that I don't like. Before I saw this movie, Seed of 
Chucky was the movie that I thought had the most unsuccessful attempts at meta humor I had ever seen. Interesting comparison. Congratulations, there is now a new crown holder. I think this movie has, I'm not exaggerating, the worst meta humor I've ever seen, ever. There, like, it used to be Seed of Chucky, but now Matrix Resurrection has the most off-putting <laughs> meta humor I've literally ever uh, seen. I didn't find it that off-putting. Did I find it especially funny? Um, I don't know, maybe not. But like the first half hour, I'd say, I don't know if I'm if that's around a rough estimate when we're seeing again, quote unquote, Thomas Anderson as his video game programmer. You know what it made me think of? At first I was like Maybe this will be like a better version of Free Guy, and I I know we we saw uh, this is a movie we didn't talk about on the show before. We saw this lot in the summer, you know. Free Guy that was the movie I was thinking of because that's also a movie where a character realizes, oh hey, I'm in a video game, and the video game designer suddenly has to reckon with that, and then also with his boss. Um. And I was almost thinking in the beginning of this movie that I, I'm just fascinated by like someone who, a creative person who is trying to wrestle with like whether or not they want to do this by just bringing it to the forefront. It almost worked as this weird intellectual exercise, but okay. Now I'm put, saying all that up front because what I want to then get to is that it suddenly started to sink in once like it's clear to thomas anderson oh wait no i'm really neo i've been like brainwashed this whole time i've been fed all these blue pills i gotta go back and the way that they do that and then everything after that it just sucks let me tell you why i hate the meta humor in this movie so much Mm -hmm. i hate it first of all it is not remotely clever or actually funny or insightful i mean the whole idea that hollywood is creatively bankrupt ips everywhere that's yeah and i think hypothetically there's a lot an actually funny person could do with that but none of the jokes are actually clever and there's a smugness pervading the humor i find deeply off-putting because if you are engaging in meta humor, you are encouraging the audience to read what they know about the creator of the film into their reading. And, and I'm sorry, the people who made Jupiter Ascending <laughs> and well, two crappy Matrix well, movies. Well, let's be clear. It's one of the Oh, yeah, I'm them. sorry. You're right. I Lily- know. Lily Wachowski, I actually texted you that. Lily Wachowski, innocent. You're right. She I, actually maybe had more good sense. You're right. I cannot blame her. I <laughs> like, you have to wonder if, like, Lana Wachowski came to, uh, you know, Lily and was like, hey, let's do this. And Lily was like, no. <laughs> so you're right. It's unfair. From yeah. Lily realized she peaked with, I create life! <laughs> and I destroy it. So... I hated, first of all, it's obvious to me in the first part of the movie that Lana kind of relates to the Thomas Anderson character before he's Neo. That Lana relates to him. Mm -hmm. And that Thomas Anderson before he's Neo is kind of an author insert Mm -hmm. character. So, first off, Having everyone, like, going around and praising the character so much kind of rankled me a little bit, even though The Matrix is a very, very important, influential, successful film. Mm-hmm. And then, when I'm watching the meta humor, in addition to the fact that the actual punchlines are not good, I did have this moment of, who are you to stand in judgment <laughs> Do you know what I no, mean? No, no, but here... Look at your track record. Well, all right, but the, but the thing is, though, even still, like, I, I, I'm i not going to be someone, though, to say, like, Lana Wachowski, like, 
at least can't wrestle with like the conflict that she has with it. That like, and this is not, and this is actually, you told me that this is based in reality. This isn't like a fake thing she made up for the movie that the studio actually did tell her, look, if you don't make a matrix sequel, we're going to get someone else to. And in my mind, I, I almost kind of, well, the other movie I flashed to was Gremlins 2, where, you know, I, as I was telling you a little bit about that uh, the other day, like that was also a movie where, you know, Joe Dante you know didn't really want to do a Gremlins sequel. It's like Gremlins is fine. The studio's like, no, we need another one. If you don't do it, we're going to do something else with it. And Joe Dante's like, fine, fine, I'll do it. Let me do whatever I want. The difference is, A, gremlins 2 is fucking funny as shit and the you know but the other thing is just it the movie kind of this matrix resurrections it in a hack it just keeps on in a hackneyed way reminding you of the other movies with those little quick flashbacks to the past movies even down to when neo is finally going to take the red pill and like there's a projection of like the film scenes on the wall. Like for a second, I was almost kind of like, ah, this is kind of trolling the audience a little bit, but they realized, why are you doing that? Like th- th- this is kind of pretentious. Like, well, I agree with you that the matrix in particular, I think is a franchise that would be fertile ground for good meta commentary. And, I think kind of dramatizing Lana Wachowski's ambivalence about returning to the Matrix in text could have been interesting. I found the execution incredibly irritating. And the movie tries to have its cake and eat it too. The movie Yeah, that that's where it fucks up. That's where it it, it doesn't work. The movie is very like snide and smug about all the ways Hollywood just eats its own tail and recycles itself. But then this movie is literally the worst example of that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, the thing is, I would be fine with... When I look back, I probably would cringe more at the meta humor if if I ever were to watch it again. I don't know when that would ever be. But, like, again, I'm you're gonna not... Like the first half hour of this movie, I was actually like, maybe I do kind of like this movie. I didn't find it funny, but I found it interesting. I found it interesting given what Lachowski has gone through in the industry. Um, and you know, the fact that you know she has had a series of flops, you know, maybe some of that was her fault and her sister, maybe not. I don't know. Like some of it is because, you know, a little bit of indulgence goes, you know, went a little bit too far there. But like, uh, the problem though is that once it actually then she gives up the ghost and it's like, okay, now we'll be a Matrix movie. It it's just all the lame. It's so much of the lame shit from that we just that what. It, my God, the exposition in this movie. Terrible. Oh my God! And since we're you know we're in Spoilville. Jada Pinkett Smith returns as what was her character name? Oh Niobe? my god, Ni- Niobe. Yeah, that that sounds about right. Uh, was that? Yeah, yeah, N- Niobe. And it's like they give her like the makeup that <laughs> you remember Guy Pierce in Prometheus, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> where it's just like this is so obviously bad. And yeah, she has to explain everything about like. You know, because again, it repeats the first movie. It's you know, Neo is suddenly awakened by um, Bugs um, and her crew on this ship. Um, kind of like also in the last movie, she's you know, oh, oh, she's in hot water with the council, or not the council, but like the superiors. Um, they try to do one sort of interesting idea, but it doesn't really work uh, for me. Where like. Instead of it being us versus the machines, now some of the machines work with the people. But what what's so unclear then is like, okay, so the whole 
crux of this is that Neo's now out in this Matrix world um, that's really run by Neil Patrick Harris, and we'll get to him. But, you know, Tiffany, a.k.a. Trinity, or I should flip that around, Trinity, a.k.a. Tiffany, is in this world. Neo wants to get her out. Okay, that's fine as a goal for a movie, but then, like, just they spend so much time having to explain everything that's going on. It bogs it down so much. And I don't know about you, but there are like two super crippling things for me about this movie. Aside from the, you know, I know we were arguing about the meta stuff. I like it a little bit more than you Mm -hmm. did, but two main points here, no Hugo weaving Mm -hmm. and no real memorable action scenes. Well, to address no Hugo Weaving, can I get at what I think is the real fatal flaw of this entire franchise and why Uh, I only like one quarter of these movies? Because the first movie really serves Agent Smith so well. Also, it has Cypher, who's right about everything. (laughs) Um, You know, if Lana Wachowski really wanted to double down, why not, like... You know, if you're going to just remake the first movie in most respects, why not have another Cypher character? But I think the the as I rewatch two and three, and I should say, I think two has like good things about it. I oh, yeah. don't think two is uh, like a disaster. Uh, see, I actually will say I think two is pretty good. Like my, if you were to give, say like, do you give this like, a yay or a nay, I give it a slight yay for some of the things that do work about it. There's a lot of Matrix Reload that doesn't work, Mm -hmm. but there's enough that's there that, like, out of a five-star scale, I give it a three. And I would give it, like, a two and a half. So I would would give Reloaded, like, a gentle thumbs down. But the reason why, having rewatched two and three and subjected myself to four... The core reason why this doesn't work to me as a franchise and why I really think only the first movie really works is because the none of these characters are interesting enough to sustain a franchise. Yeah. And Hugo Weaving is the only is literally the only actor who's actually compelling for multiple movies. So, for instance, in the first movie, I really love, like, Lawrence Fish- Fishburne as Morpheus. But he doesn't really have a lot to do in the rest of the movies. And I'm sorry, like, Neo and Trinity just n- aren't well, I, interesting I, enough I, to build four films uh, around. Okay, okay. Can They're I get... not. I gotta get to that. Because that was something that was hitting me about the movie, too. And why... Uh, it... it why are why is are they what do they see in each other what are they like what what like why is she I, okay in the first movie she has she has a major chick boner uh so to speak for him because you know he's so like oh my god he's the one all that stuff i guess you could say maybe for this one they try to flip it because um again i know we're all spoilers here Trinity in this one is the one. Um, they kind of reveal that sort of very late in the game, but their personalities are just so thin. And I feel bad because I think in this movie, I almost feel like Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss might actually be a little bit better as actors. Like I think as as they've gotten a little bit, as they age a little bit, they. They have just a basic scene early on where they're just sitting having coffee, and I just like how they vibe with each other. <laughs> that is literally the only scene I like in the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah, that it's a good scene, because they're just talking about stuff, and, you know, because they're, they seem like they kind of know something's going on between them, the two of them, but they can't figure it out, and so everything's in between the lines, but the, the it, acting these actors can't do enough to save like how thin the writing is. And the problem is like, I was thinking about other franchises, like in star Wars, you know, you could say, well, why, you know, isn't the, 
stuff between like Luke, Han, and Leia, like sort of like some of the romantic things going on there. But Leia is some is so much more of an interesting character, and I hate to say it because I you know Karen Moss, good actress. I don't think Trinity's that interesting of a character. No, she's just not. And you're right. It's no fault of the performers. I think Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss are struggling mightily to bring gravitas to very it, underwritten characters. But I, to me, this is a the, franchise problem. It, 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 it's a, this whole series, and then still in this movie, we're told that they like each other, but we're not really shown it that as much. I mean, of course, in two, they're pretty horny for each other at one point <laughs> with that big ass orgy. But like, but what is it about? Like, it's just you know, there's a like there are a couple of moments in this movie where Neo becomes like a Street Fighter character doing a Hadouken <laughs> because someone's like, "You gotta fight for Trinity," <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay," but like. But why are you fighting for her? What is it about her except that, like, she meant something to you, I guess? But, like, what is it about her that meant it? Because she's cool and, like, her leather and, like, says lines with, like, a very, you know, deadpan way? I I don't get it. Way. And, yeah, this is... You know what would have been a subversion if they wanted to make a meta comment? If you actually... If characters actually questioned in the movie, or at least brought up, like, but why do you actually want to, you know, save her? Why do you want to do this? And he gives at one point, like, a half-assed thing, like, well, she believed in me once. Now it's time for me to believe in her. Sorry, that's not good enough. No. So I think the problem is these characters, I just can't believe how thin they are, given that this is our fourth movie with them. Yeah. And I think this is a serious problem for basically two, three, and four. That two and three introduce a bunch of characters who are just boring. Like, there are a bunch of, like, supporting characters yeah. who are chucked in in two and three. Like Harold Perrineau. And they're super boring. I just watched these movies, and I literally, like, I don't remember their names. I don't remember. <laughs> you don't remember, like... Old guy who gets into the mech armor and then gets killed, and then his apprentice who gets in the mech armor. <laughs> so I think, <laughs> in resurrection, in, not resurrection, in revolutions. I think for me, the reason why, even though I Matrix One still stands the test of time, is a really good movie. The reason why this just completely doesn't work for me as a franchise is that. I cannot get over how underdeveloped these characters are. Yeah. And basically, Neo and Trinity have... They're good enough characters to get you through one movie with, like, an innovative plot and cool action and really excellent villains. Like, and, Neo and Trinity get you through one movie. Well, they don't get you through four movies. Well, also, too, I think the script is just better for the first movie. Okay. You know, it all goes back to the script. You know, you can't like, you know, you can have like a really, it's like when you buy this series is like McDonald's French fries or something <laughs> or like fast food French fries. You get them and it's like, this is really tasty. If you bring them home and you keep on microwaving French fries, <laughs> they're going to suck. <laughs> you know that this series is microwave French fries. That's what I'd say. And the problem is, but to bring it back though, it's just not having Hugo Weaving here though it feels like a real miscalculation it's though cuz at problem. least cuz at least if he was there like i get Lawrence Fishburne not being here like they tried they kind of explained that in the universe okay you know because again it's 60 years in the future there's no reason except that the actor couldn't do it that you couldn't have him here because he's a computer program yeah like, he can age a little bit, but, like, and I feel bad because Jonathan Groff, he's the new Smith in this mm. movie. He's fine, but, you know, fine, it's like, you know, we're, we're both professors. I was thinking about this analogy. When you have that student who so desperately wants that A, 
and it's just sorry, man. You're you're a B or B plus. Yeah, and nothing's gonna get you an A. I think you're right that Hugo Weaving, Agent Smith is my favorite character in the series. He's Hugo Weaving delivers my favorite performance in the series because I to not talking about the first movie because I think more of the characters have charisma in the first movie. But I'm taking two and three. It's a bunch of stiffs. It's a bunch of bland characters, stilted acting, and Hugo Weaving's the only one with a pulse. It's like when you watch the prequels and, you know, Ian McDermott is that tall glass of water in the (laughs) desert. (laughs) I was thinking about the prequels during this movie, and I was thinking about how, you're right, the script is incredibly clumsy and expository, and... I honestly think I have a pretty high tolerance for exposition. I mean, Inception is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. I can roll with a pretty high level of exposition. Yeah. But this dialogue was just so clumsy. And I think the reason why the movie has to be so clumsily expository is because the movie can't reveal things about theme through just organic human interactions. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, that I that's really succinct. Like that's almost like how in the first Matrix movie, you're able to get so much through like just the little interactions that Neo has at points with with some of the other characters. I mean, there was a lot of exposition in the first movie too. Mm-hmm. Let's not kid ourselves, but there's also times where you can grasp a concept just like, you know, the spoon. Yeah. That is so simple, and yet it's communicated in a really elegant way. It, but, and then you you have that moment, it's gone, and then you kind of get it later when stuff can bend. All right, that's cool. In this movie, like, you all... But in this movie, you also have to have the thing where... Even though he's Neo, like supposedly the most powerful character in this world, in a way he's almost like he's still like a video game character, even after he comes out of his video game world. Like he can't like perform like as he used to, unless it's like you get the the code word Trinity, you know, and then he attacks. And it's it happens like multiple times, and it's just like too much. And and I, I almost would forgive more if, like, you had something like in part two with the freeway chase, mm-hmm. which is a really awesome scene. Or even, like, that nice number where in two they have that fight in the, I don't know what you call it. It's like the stair. It's like a big stairway or yeah, hallway. Yeah, it looks like it's in, like, a castle. Almost. Castle. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. That's a really great fight scene. Um, and it's just really simple. And I didn't feel that in this movie. Like, the action, I don't think, is even that well staged. Um, You know, I mean, you have a couple little moments here and there. It's like, oh, okay, that's kind of nice. But, like, it's not even shot that as well. Like, and, you know, at least give me that. Like, I'm not, you know, I'll take really cool action. I mean, for God's sake, I mean, we talked about the John Wick movies before on the podcast, I believe. You know, those aren't particularly deep movies either, but my God, the action is like extraordinary. Yeah, and that's the other thing too. Your movie doesn't have to be deep if it can be fun or if it can offer like entertainment in terms of like shallow pleasures. But the problem is this movie offers no shallow pleasures. This movie is incredibly self-important, but also totally empty. Lana Wachowski's very, I feel like she's very neurotic about her own, like, legacy with this series. Which, again, I think you could do a lot with that, but the execution of this is terrible. And I'm never going to get over the fact that this movie is, like, lecturing us about how Hollywood is out of ideas when this is the most creatively bankrupt thing Mm -hmm. I've ever seen. Now, I will... See, I don't know if I'll go that far. I think... I mean, we didn't watch the most creatively bankrupt movie of this year, which is Space Jam 2. (laughs) 
<laughs> which, by the way, had a Matrix parody in it. I'm assuming because they knew this was coming out. But one, I do want to, I would do want to touch on something that I did kind of like in the movie. Okay. Yes. All right. Neil Patrick Harris. I almost. I feel like, in a way, maybe it's not consciously Lana Wachowski had him here because she didn't couldn't get Hugo Weaving back. Because again, Jonathan Groff is fine; he does what he can. It's not you know Smith is not even that big of a presence in this movie as he should be. Maybe she cut down the script when he couldn't do it. But anyway, Neil Patrick Harris's character he he's not in the movie a lot. But anytime he showed up, I felt like the movie got a pulse and he has a scene, I'd say two thirds into the movie where he actually explains what is really going on with Neo and Trinity and how they're basically used as like the power sources for this universe. Mm -hmm. And that is, a that's like, that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie where he slows everything down and is explaining things in his own time frame while he like Neo's watching a bullet going like like a thousand frames a second and I mean you watched that scene I assume or did yes. you stop by that point um I stopped the movie literally right <laughs> after that scene I couldn't take it anymore. you didn't like that scene no I, here's the thing it's not that I dislike the scene you're right his performance it's like a little bit of life, but I hated the movie so much by that point that I was mm. I can't hang with this anymore. But I when I watch this movie, it it gives me nothing. The characters aren't <laughs> interesting. This movie is nothing to say thematically that you see, don't get from the original trilogy. See, I um the one thing I'll say again, I don't except I don't like this movie. I, I'm not giving it a positive review. I, in a way, can understand why some people will like the movie or because, like, on Letterboxd, Matt Lynch, in his little blurb on this, he called it dorky. And there's a part of me that I get, I can respect if someone has, like, a dorky love of stuff like this. This isn't my kind of dorky, though. I get that this has an audience, Although that said, I wish this audience had better stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, but what what I don't get about it is this movie, I think it's attempting to create some kind of like powerful emotional catharsis for us when we see like Neo and Trinity like finally reunited at the end and, you know, their yeah. love is enough to conquer, you know, the limitations of the Matrix. But mm -hmm. these are cold movies. God, you know who? Sh you know, I know that she wouldn't do it because she probably thinks like it's beneath her to like hire him. Um, Joss Whedon should have like written this movie. Joss Whedon could have actually done this. Yeah, this could have been like something if you brought Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon actually, I think, would fit this much more than like something like Justice League. Like, because yeah. I think he would get like, oh, I, okay, I know what to do with this, you know, to turn like Matrix into almost like a cab in the woods type thing. Because, yeah, as you said, it again, I find it more that that whole meta part early on where he's like a video game developer that it, I find it interesting. But again, even that it maybe if that was just the whole movie. But then that, but the, but the problem is then you're then denying what again this you expect the audience to come for, but what you're giving the audience is just reheated crap. Yeah, and basically, I don't, I just don't see how Lana Wachowski how she could have thought mm -hmm. that this movie would successfully deliver like a big feels conclusion. No, no. And I, I, I didn't, yeah, I did not feel because that at all. Even the really good first movie 
I think all these movies are pretty cold. The only time I feel like these movies are not cold is in, like, the rave scene in The Matrix Reloaded intercut with Trinity and Neo having sex, which is, no joke, my favorite scene out of, like, the three movies that followed the first one. I actually, <laughs> like, I actually think uh. the rave intercut with, like, Trinity and Neo, like, getting busy, I actually think is, like, amazing yeah i in fact as good as like the highway chase is it also runs too long if you ask me like what's the high point of matrix reloaded i would say like the rave (laughs) because that is i think literally the only time these movies do a good job of selling the idea of like trinity and neo's love that spans galaxies it it stops being like a self-serious like sci-fi channel show that happened <laughs> to suddenly get made into movies, um, which was my sort of take when I watched Reloaded. Like as much as I like this, this has the quality of like sci-fi channel writing, like as far as one of those lesser shows. Well, um, the other thing about the rave scene is I said, you know, earlier I was like, Cypher was right. The rave scene is kind of art is kind of directly arguing against cypher and is saying like as brutal as zion is there can still be you know pleasure in freedom and the people in zion live very very hard lives well and you're bringing up an you bring up an interesting point though into resurrections that maybe they didn't really explore enough that because in resurrections they present this idea that now like Zion is not what it, what it was now. Like, again, like we actually are trying, we actually have a society where a, we've allowed some machines in, they are actually helping us. They're basically droids, yeah. uh, but they look more, you know, different. And also we're like actually growing food, you know, like strawberries, which I thought of you. And I saw that. Yes. You you would probably that'd be the one thing that would draw you to that world, <laughs> having a good strawberry. Um, sorry, off in in regular life, Corey's a big fan of strawberries, yeah. but um, that's and that's an interesting idea, but they don't do anything with it. It's just like we're just explaining what's going on here, and then we gotta get back into gotta get Trinity, gotta get Trinity. Like, no, make us actually understand. You're not really giving us enough to understand why this world now is a little better than what was before. It's not, you're right. It's not a good argument for like the whole um, cipher point. Yeah. Whereas the rave scene in the Matrix Reloaded, I, even though Cypher's obviously not in Reloaded, I looked at that as a direct counterpoint to Cypher because I think the Wachowskis were smart enough to realize they created a really compelling villain in Cypher who made really good points. Yeah, that's always what you want in a villain. Like you want someone, and I'll, even it will also S- Smith yeah. is is compelling in that way too. In that long interrogation scene in the Matrix, which I think is like my favorite part of all these movies. That though those parts where he's uh, interrogating Morpheus because he's raising points that mm. are you know that confront the audience this idea that like human beings go all in like breed and consume everything you know are we more of a virus so to speak you know and uh, you know that's that's challenging the audience what is there in Resurrections that is challenging us. Yeah, there's nothing. It's I cannot believe how just devoid of content this it's, movie it's a, is. It is the yeah. I don't even know if I'd say that. Like I said, I think if I were to rank these movies, I would probably put this still above Revolutions mm-hmm. a little bit, just because even though Revolutions it ha- still has Hugo Weaving as Smith, he's not in it anywhere near enough. That movie has just much longer stretches of boring than this. Not to say this doesn't have stretches of boring, but it was trying in a few places. That's where I think you and I disagree. I think she, like Lana Wachowski was, and her writers, there are other co-writers in this movie, they were trying to wrestle with certain ideas 
they just they didn't get there because again they had to uh, it's such a weird movie because it's like they start off trying to be like oh wow we gotta make another matrix movie oh this is kind of uh, like you know and he's neas thomas anderson's the stand-in for you know creatives everywhere that have to do the thing but then they do the thing and it's not terrible and oh god and Anyone like I saw a couple of reviewers, I almost don't even want to say names, but they were comparing this favorably to The Last Jedi. And like, get the get fuck out, out of here. here. Get out of here. You know, here's the thing. I was thinking about this watching the movie, trying to compare it to that. And the th- Last Jedi, even though I know it's the eighth movie in this series, I think though you can watch it though as its own movie. And still be entertained. You know, it doesn't have these callbacks to the... There's no moment in The Last Jedi where you're seeing, like, a clip from the first movie. Yeah, this movie is so repetitive. Not only it does it have a bunch of clips from the prior movies, but you have characters, like, re- reciting, reciting lines. lines. exactly. So, like knock off Morpheus, restate some of the lines that, like, original Morpheus had. He He's back in the room, uh, the white room with the TV, and states, again, the, the whole thing about, like... Or he restates, like, what, you know, we're being used for. Also, his fighting scene with Neo, like, reuses. Yeah. But... Again, it also has this meta commentary where it's like, where like new Morpheus is aware of old Morpheus and like he makes a meta joke about it. But meta jokes are just really obnoxious if you're also providing like crap. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's still it's still crap. Because I don't think she and her writers are really that clever to go about it. Um, yeah, I mean, when you think Wachowskis, do you, like, is Lana Wachowski renowned for her sterling sense of humor in any of her projects? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, well, there are certainly things we've laughed at or uh, in some of the, these movies. Um, I don't and, know if it's intentional, though. Well... Between well, there's Eddie Redmayne in Jupiter Ascending, and then I also think about Tom Hanks as the Cockney in <laughs> Cloud Atlas, who, who thro- very funny. who throws the guy out the window. Actually, I legit think that's funny. I don't think I'm laughing at that. Um, but yeah, um, now I should correct you. Uh, you texted me that you think the Wachowskis are the biggest one-hit wonders. A, we need to rewatch Bound. Because again, Bound is a good movie. I've got to see it. I've never seen it. And B, I mean, if V for Vendetta is theirs, you could also say that, you know, that's a good movie. That's true. And I did love V for Vendetta. And that's, you know, so maybe two, oh God, two hit wonder. Who has the, who has the better track record of, you know, directors who broke through in 1999, the Wachowskis or M. Night Shyamalan? Oh, God. <laughs> you know, I thought, of, I thought of M. Night Shyamalan I think, at times. I think M. Night Shyamalan has the better track record. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think his movies are 80% garbage. But <laughs> No, I thought, of, um, I thought of M. Night Shyamalan actually when watching this because when you're watching people come up to Thomas Anderson like bloviating about how much they love the did matrix. You, did you think of Lady in the Water? Yes. <laughs> I thought of Lady in the Water where M. Night Shyamalan cast himself as the author whose book literally saves the world. Yeah. I just I think I'm running out of ways to say like Yeah. This movie I was it... so irritated by how incredibly vacant I found it and I found it almost I cringed with embarrassment when watching this. Like, I felt secondhand embarrassment because it seemed so, like, amateurish and immature to me. Mm, I, I, I can kind of get that. I, I Again, I think 
where I still differ is I found the first half hour. Oh God, you're going to, you're going to punch me for saying this in almost like this Godardian, like <laughs> postmodern way, like where I'm not really laughing, but I'm kind of watching it. And it's like this weird little art film where Keanu Reeves is like staring in a mirror at points, like with weird faces. Actually, you know what also popped in my head for a little bit? And obviously this movie's nowhere near as good as this other movie, but a scanner darkly where also Keanu Reeves Uh. is going bonkers. Oh, I, that movie was so good. I haven't seen it in so long. It's it's a great movie. I just, what did they do with like the themes of the original trilogy in, they didn't advance the themes at all. Also, the new characters in this movie. Um, yeah. Heroes, and, like well, Bugs? I, I, no, you know what? Who is Bugs? Who I, cares? I, I will say I liked her performance. I liked her personality. I wish the movie had given her more than like, I'm like the, I'm like the, I'm like the captain that will get things done. You know, poor Jessica Henwick. I think she was trying. I think I'm not going to fault her again. That's like with Reeves and Carrie and Moss. I think that they're both there, there to be in it, but she's not given much past. I'm going to look cool in this scene and I'm going to, you know, be the captain in this scene. It's just, it's not enough for me. Yeah. I, and the issue is, and this is a problem with multiple matrix movies. When your characters are just like, um, either exposition devices or stoned freshman in college philosophy like devices and instead of people the emotional moments in your movie don't land because the characters are so um uninvolving at a human level but this movie doesn't even have anything to say thematically or philosophically well either yeah I mean the, I mean basically it's well it's one idea is, you know, it's 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 hard to like come up with new ideas. Yeah. <laughs> and even Trinity being like the one or a co-version of the one isn't a new idea because in the Matrix Reloaded, the architect tells him, "You're number six. Yeah, there have been five other the one. Well, that was the one thing I I thought maybe with this movie that I didn't really expect that they were going to go with. This is still like the world 60 years later, I thought this would be like a matrix version, maybe like part 10 mm-hmm. because we were told like your matrix version six. Yeah. So that would have made it more like interesting that like all your pursuits are fruitless, but I guess you're going to try anyway. That's maybe the theme of the movie. Cause at the very end, they kind of try to lay it out. Where, um, because they meet with Neil Patrick Harris one more time. Again, mm. you missed this because you didn't watch the movie uh, at that part. But they visit him, you know, to basically fuck with him, and you know, and he kind of taunts him like, "What are you gonna do?" Because now Neo and Trandy can make their own the world they want it, and he's like, "What are you gonna do? Paint the sky with rainbows?" And they kind of look at each other and go, "Huh, you know what? Maybe we'll do that." <laughs> Um, I guess that's the theme of it. Like, we'll make our world any way we want. But that goes against what I feel like Lana Wachowski wanted to start with, which is I'm being kind of forced to make this movie. Okay, I'll give you what you want, even if it's not very interesting. But why? And maybe I don't like this movie. I'm thinking, I'm assuming. It's like the power of love that gives them the control over the Matrix. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Well. 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 Yeah. Well, that was what Neil Patrick Harris was kind of explaining in his one long scene. You know, oh, you, hu- you know, you humans and your emotions. Like he kind of mentions that. But again, this is something that they already did. Remember at the end of Matrix Two, Neo saves Trinity from death and has the ability to manipulate the code in the Matrix and like pull the bullet out of her stomach. Because of the power of love. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim (laughs) achieved the power of love. (laughs) And I'm I'm actually like a big sap and a pretty sentimental person. I cry very easily, like when watching movies and TV shows. 
I'm I you, you cried watching No Way Home. I did. Um so if you want to tell a sappy power of love story, like I'm all about it, but you actually have to make the romance compelling. Yeah. Which you, it's not. No, no. It's all very just very serious. You know, <laughs> I, I need you. You need me, yes. Well, we have to be very serious. <laughs> and yeah, not not enough. So I don't know, final thoughts, because I feel like we've been kind of ranting about this. Oh! Uh, so there's a post credit scene. Can you tell me what it is? It's like the people. Because I I walk. I decided to just leave. It's the people who are you know like in the first act of the movie. There are all those people like sitting at the table pitching ideas yeah. about the Matrix game and having their oh so witty conversations about what the Matrix is. They're sitting around the table again and have more like obnoxious meta commentary. Mm. about how like movies are creatively bankrupt you know why i kind of like that maybe i do like that part of the movie a little bit why? it almost felt like maybe patrick h willems wrote this <laughs> patrick h willems would it would be much much better if he was <laughs> the one yeah oh so it's another it's more of that scene yeah basically um uh... i i basically hate this movie in every way you can hate a movie um, uh, you're you're on that Roger Ebert hate hate hate, I it hate train. It. I think it is absolutely no redeeming value. There's no reason to watch it. It doesn't contribute anything to our understanding of the Matrix. Um, we don't learn any interesting new things about the characters. We don't learn interesting new things about like the Matrix as a philosophical concept. It doesn't have any like popcorn thrills. Yeah, the script is horrendous. The actors try their best, but they're given nothing to do. This is, um, the, like, this movie thinks it's a passion project and, like, the unique vision of an idiosyncratic creator, but really, I do feel like it's, like, Space Jam 2 level creative. (laughs) It's, it's, it comes dressed up as a passion project, but it's more of an obligation. When I was watching this, and I was literally thinking, like, why am I watching this? What is this giving me that the other movies didn't? And I would like to say, in conclusion, this really, artistically speaking, this movie should have been one. And, it should have been one and done. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I- that the Matrix was so successful that that never could have happened. But. Well, I see my point that I made to you when we were watching two and three, or maybe it was the third one. I think that two and three, at least, I don't even know about four, maybe four or two, but like it, it's an interesting thing that we, I still have never seen all of the Animatrix, mm-hmm. which was like a kind of made, it was a made for video project where like different filmmakers came, like, came in and did like shorts to kind of fill in up like little gaps in the, in the world building. I think if the Wachowskis had just gone all in and made these like animated movies, I'd be, I'd be more forgiving because in like, again, like some like Japanese anime or something, these are the kind of stories that you expect with these kind of characters, but you're more forgiving because like animation is just so like the kind of world that this fits in. But when you have like, humans playing these parts and you don't really know how to always get like the best performances from from everyone you know and you're more concerned about how cool stuff looks you're bound to wind up with this kind of quality yeah i even i can't even imagine now i know the two and three i feel like the matrix Especially two have gotten kind of undergone a critical reappraisal. Yeah. In recent years. So I don't know, maybe if you really love two and three, which I don't. Yeah. But Yeah, that's my thought. If you really liked two and three, I think you'll get more out of this movie than I did. That's me being diplomatic. Because I don't, I don't really care for this movie. You know, that uh, that's why I don't hate it, because I know what audience it's for, and I don't think it, like, is as soulless as something like Space Jam, 
But that's not a that's not high praise. But yeah, I absolutely hated this movie. I think it is unwatchable. <sighs> I right. think it's my, awful. My my concluding remark is if you want a um revisit with Keanu Reeves reprising a role from years gone by, just watch Bill and Ted face the music. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my concluding remark. Watch him in that where he's given a lot better stuff to Actually, do. Since all the Matrix movies are on HBO Max, if you have HBO Max, watch the first one, which still holds up and is still a really good movie, and then watch like 40 minutes of the second one. Watch 40 minutes of the second one where, oh, we didn't even, t- I, I gotta bring this up again, because uh, I was like, wait, I did the DiCaprio Once <laughs> Upon a Time in Hollywood finger point at the TV thing. Cornell West is in the second movie? Yeah. That was a random thing. And he even has a couple of lines. He's like one of the people on the council. And I was just like, hi, Cornell West. Failure to make Zion interesting was another, I think, really big flaw in this series. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you you have enough of an idea for one great movie. Yeah. You don't have enough well, of an idea for well, four that's, movies. Well, to close this out, one last question. Do you think that, do you buy, kind of in the similar way where the revisionism about George Lucas and everything with Star Wars after A New Hope, like, that it's not, they had no idea what they were planning. Like, the, the, supposedly, from what I've read, that they said that when they first were presenting to Hollywood the Matrix. They actually presented it as a trilogy, and then they said, "No, you can't. We can't do a trilogy of movies. You, you guys aren't. You, you haven't done anything. Go make another movie." And then they made Bound, and then they're like, "Okay, we'll make your first movie." I don't buy that for a second. I maybe buy that they pitched the first Matrix, and they were turned down, and they said, "Go make something else." I don't think they knew what they, where they were going to go with two and three. I think two and three have a few kind of interesting philosophical concepts in them. Yeah. But they don't have coherent, like, satisfying plots. Mm-hmm. And as I expounded upon in detail, the character development is just way, way, way too shallow for like a series rather than just a one-off yeah, movie. Well, as I said, well, shallow and again of the quality that you expect more from like in T. You're more maybe more forgiving in TV than for like a major movie. Uh, all right, yeah. so we've been going on a while here. I, I think again, we yeah, don't watch Resurrections. Just watch something else. That's my final thought on that. If you guys have seen The Matrix Resurrections, um, you know, you can email us. Please send us any tweets or comments. Um, you know, we'd love to read them. Uh, actually, I could even read one that actually got this while we were talking. Uh, a listener or one of our listeners, Mothra Wings Photo, actually tweeted as I was recording because I happened to tag Wages of Cinema in a tweet. And he said, I struggled to stay awake. Honestly, I prefer revolutions to this. I binged all three leading up to this. That was a mistake. Yeah, I <laughs> I told you, um, I wonder if any other people took the journey I took with this movie when I saw that really cool trailer for four. I was like, I'm going to see this in the theater. Then I rewatched the Matrix sequels, and I was like, I am absolutely not seeing this in the theater. I yeah. wonder if anyone else took the journey I took. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Like, did pe- like are people coming to this having just watched only watched the first one, and uh, and that's that'd be a curious thing to get their reaction because I don't think you can really fully understand this movie without seeing two and three, and that's a problem. But I also think because I watched two and three like just recently. Yeah. Um, and I don't think said Reloaded is not like a terrible movie, I but I don't think it works ultimately. And Revolutions, I think, is basically like garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
my tolerance for this franchise was like not at a high point. I was not feeling, I guess, particularly charitable to a franchise where I didn't like two thirds of well, the movie. Well, as, as I, as, to reiterate again, you know, you gave, uh, your ex one more chance to cook you a good meal. And <laughs> what, what is this crap again? Reheated fries. Get out. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. For thank your you everyone. Mothra. We really appreciated it. We enjoy having you as a listener. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, thank you so much for listening to us, and thank you all for listening to us. It's been a really interesting year at the movies, a lot of highs and lows, as you can see. Uh, we hope to come back to you guys next year for more things. Probably we'll do uh, a best of list coming up soon, maybe, or something tied in with, you know, award season. We'll see what happens. Yes. we. M- I might hate this Matrix movie, but I love you guys, our loyal <laughs> listeners. Yeah, we love you. Let's end on a high note. You know, we love you the way Neo inexplicably loves Trinity. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, we bid you, uh, uh, until next time, I'm Jack. I am Trash Panda Corey. And the wages of cinema (laughs) is inevitable. Hugs. Good night. (laughs)